Hello, Lime Ninjas, and welcome to episode number 90 of Lime Ninja Radio. I am your host, McKay Rippey, and with us from lovely La Jolla, California, is the certified show producer and brains behind the business, Aurora. Hello, and I am right in the middle of apartment searches right now. How's that going? Eh, not so good. I'm I'm trying to find that that sweet spot between where I want to live and what I can afford. So it's been it's been a balancing act right there. And you know, I've talked to a few people, but they haven't gotten back to me or I haven't gotten back to them. It wasn't the right fit. So I'll keep plugging away at it. Perseverance, my dear, perseverance. Yes, indeed. And speaking of perseverance, it really brings us to this week's guest, Lydia Niederwerfer. Her story really is all about that. So, Aurora, why don't you tell us a little bit today about our Lime Ninja, Lydia Niederwerfer. All right. When Lydia first discovered a tick on her shoulder, she went to the ER and was prescribed 10 days of doxycycline as a precaution. A few days later, she developed a bullseye rash. The doxycycline alleviated her symptoms, but when she went back to ask for another treatment of antibiotics, she was refused because her Western blot and ELISA tests came back negative. Fortunately, a neurologist successfully diagnosed her Lyme disease, and after exhausting the treatment protocols recommended, she found a Lyme literate doctor. Now she's mostly symptom-free and continues to work on controlling her Babesia symptoms. She has created a website, LymeAware.org, as an easy-to-use research for people with Lyme disease. Thanks, Aurora. And really, that's the main impetus for interviewing Lydia was she turned her Lyme story into action by creating this Lyme Aware website where she's really working hard to gather all kinds of great resources. So it's a a great directory if you want to just check out what's out there in the Lyme world. Again, that's LymeAware.org. And here's our interview with Lyme Ninja, Lydia Niederwerfer. I also would like to talk to you a little bit about your story and kind of how you got here and then what inspired you to set up Lime Aware and what your vision for that is. How does that sound? All right. Well, first of all, how did I get here? I found a brown dog tick on my shoulder and it was 4th of July weekend and it had been embedded for, I'd say, less than 24 hours. And so I went to the emergency room. There was some, a Midwestern doctor there. She said, oh, I'll just put you on 10 days of doxycycline uh, just to be on the safe side, but we'll run the test. So then the test came back negative, and uh, the 10 days of doxycycline seemed to help for about three or four weeks, I'd say. And then on a trip back home to Wisconsin, uh, it just became more and more difficult for me to get in and out of the vehicle. By the time... Because of pain? Uh, no, it's just that my legs were so stiff okay. that I couldn't get out of the vehicle without some assistance. Mm-hmm. And um, then... I went, you know, I did. I went through my vacation and my reunion uh, with some symptoms like hot and cold flashes and the stiff neck and the 
the headache, and uh, I figured it was probably the the Lyme disease, just because I had I did have the bullseye rash, so I knew it had to be that. Mm-hmm. And before the end of the trip, I was on our way back home. I pretty much couldn't. I could barely walk. Boy. And and a couple, maybe a week, week and a half later, they, uh, I was in, unable to get out of bed. None of my, I would think that my arms were moving, but my arms weren't moving. And, and uh, for a short while, uh, as I was walking, uh, my dog was acting very peculiar and she kept jumping on me and pushing me to the couch. And that's when um, I lost my sight. Oh, no. So it wasn't, it didn't completely go black. It just kind of looked like, you know how when it gets really foggy and you can't see ahead of you, it's, you know, it's like all that grayish white color. Yeah. Well, that's what it appeared to be like. I mean, it wasn't totally black, but I just couldn't see anything except for that foggy film in front of me. Um and that lasted for a short while, and um, once I was uh, able to regain that sight, I went through a, a short period of tunnel vision, and um, for some reason, then a week or so, that cleared up, and the only thing that I had problems with my vision was that once it turned dark, I could not see anything. My My pupils didn't dilate so that I could, I just, I couldn't, it was just completely dark. So pretty much my, my days were uh, up until the minute it became, it became dark and I couldn't do anything else after that. Were you you having any other neurological symptoms at the time? Oh yes, I was having numerous things. Uh, the stuttering, the speech, uh, I couldn't speak, uh, the short-term memory loss, the, the nerve pain, the, the shakes, like my arms were sh- had shakes like the Parkinson's. The headaches were pretty bad. Uh, I pretty much had a non-stop headache for a while, the stiff neck. Um... Pretty much anything that you can think of. I, uh, my husband had to bathe me, feed me, clothe me. Oh. At that time, I wasn't really, I wasn't walking. I guess, I, I it was pretty much everything that you could think of under the sun that was going on. Um, I, my, I was losing clumps of hair. My skin turned to a gray, chalky, I don't, it didn't even look like skin. And it all happened all at once and quickly. It was, there was no months. I'd say it happened within six to eight weeks hmm. from the time I found the tick. Yeah. So I was lucky in that respect. You know, um, most people will go for years and it just builds up and builds up. But this one, it just came on quickly. You know, then I think, I don't know, I had the nausea, the migraines. Diarrhea. I mean, anything and everything that you could think of, I, I had at that time. Um, that lasted for um, that was July. 
it wasn't until October that I was able to find a neurologist that kind of put two and two together. It's like, well, everything began at that tick, and it just progressively got worse, and it hasn't gotten any better. Uh, so what else could it be? And he did an unconventional test of uh, the spinal tap. Yeah. The lumbar puncture, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Um, and he actually found the bacteria in that test. So he put me on the IV Rocephin for 28 days. And um, during the time I was seeing him, he kind of, looked into Lyme disease and he, he was honest with me. He was point blank, said, you know, this is all I can give you. Um, guidelines tell me this is it and you should be fine. And um, I'd say about a week and a half into the treatment, I wasn't progressing. I was able to start shuffling around, but he kind of figured that I wasn't, it wasn't going to do the trick. So he told me to find another doctor that knew about Lyme disease, and at that time, that was when he referred me to a Lyme literate medical doctor, and that was pretty much the first time I've, I heard of it. Um, so I set out to find a doctor, and in the meantime, I was still on the, the IV. I had to do it at home by myself. Um, and I, I actually was able to be introduced to uh, Dr. Sycon in Tampa, Florida. Okay. And uh, Dr. Zhang from New York. And I was actually able to find an internist down in my neck of the woods where she had had about six patients with Lyme disease. One of her patients that she had was from Connecticut, and she had pretty much taught her the whole controversy and how um, the antibiotics was pretty much the only thing that some see, people seem to progress with. So she was actually um, able to work with me and mostly uh, Dr. Saikon and Dr. Zhang to come up with a treatment plan for me. And I progressed some. Um, it was slow. I'd say 18 months later, I was, I'd say it was, I was walking on my own, um, the night vision lasted a few months, but that cleared up eventually in the brain fog uh, with doc, the help of Dr. Zhang's protocol. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, that went away eventually, uh, but I'd say I was only about 80, 85% of where I was when I began the whole Lyme disease road. And that was pretty much it. Um, I didn't realized that I could go symptom-free until I came here to Colorado. And I found a doctor that was um, that introduced me to muscle testing or art therapy. Mm-hmm. And it was until then that I knew that I could be 110%. There's some, a few things that happened in between then. I had to go through <laughs> surgery. Uh, in 2009, I think, yeah, it was 2009, I had to go through some surgery, and when I didn't progress after a day or two, it was just a routine sinus surgery. Mm-hmm. The, the ENT had no clue, and knowing my experience with 
the first round with the Lyme disease and the treatment, I sought out a doctor to help me um, to see if maybe the symptoms, uh, the symptoms started coming back and, and getting worse. I mean, I still had the, the neuropathy um, pretty much since 2002. I didn't know anything different. I figured that was the best I was going to get. Right. Um, so and to, I have a question for you. In terms okay. of all these different therapies that you use to get better, did any one of them stand out for you, or were they all like pieces of a puzzle? Dr. Zhang's protocol seemed to stand out the best, the most. Um, he was able to get me through most of the the the. the the Lyme disease, what I call the Lyme disease symptoms, because I also had Bartonella and Babesia that was that came into play. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to get pretty much the core of the Lyme disease symptoms rid of within six months of the time I I started his protocol. Um, it was just the his protocol didn't help with the Babesia, and Babesia was the one that was the strongest. And it was the most difficult to tackle for me. And that's when I had to add, throw in um, Byron White's formulas with my, with my conventional and, and Dr. Zhang's treatment. Um, and I was able to regain most of my normal life back after that. It wasn't until the muscle testing came into play back in 2009 that I actually saw the most benefits because um, I wasn't casting the reel to see what would work for me. It right. was pretty much, uh, it told me what my body needed and what was going to help my body heal and strengthen it. And that was pretty much what we stood with. We, we Whatever the muscle testing showed I needed, we went with that route. And by before I knew it, I'd say about, Five or six months later, I was at my 110%. I only had some lingering symptoms, but then about a month later, they were all gone. Oh, that's fantastic. So, so did you test everything, nutrition and supplements? and? Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, he, uh, the doctor I use is an osteopath. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks at the whole body. So we addressed every issue that was wrong with my body at the time. And before I knew it, I was hiking um, at 11,000 feet, you know, over 11 miles. So um, I'm thankful that I was able to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't until recently when I lost my mother and my my best friend, my, my fur baby, and my job within a few months of each other that I started getting some of the Babesia symptoms back. That's a wonderful segue into the reason I initially contacted you was that beautiful article you wrote about grief and particularly around Lyme disease. And in talking with people over these several years, there is a ton of grief. We, we lose 
people with Lyme disease lose all kinds of things. And like you mentioned, you lose your sight, you can lose your motor function, you can lose your independence, ability to drive, you lose relationships sometimes, definitely work can get stripped away from you. So what what inspired you to write that? And, and then tell a little bit about what you discovered about the unique spin that Lyme puts on the grief process. Well, I began my website back in 2010. My motivation was I was going through the brain fog. I couldn't, I stopped reading for years. I could not comprehend uh, what I read. I, so I wanted to put a website together that I, it, that I would put everything that I was found on the Internet in one website. So I wouldn't have to sit there and sift through all the internet searches trying to find what anything I could find so I can burn more so I could advocate myself for myself with the doctors. But I just wanted to have everything in one spot so that if someone had questions, they could find the support group in their, within their state or the organization within their state, and it would reduce the frustration that right, and that website, just for everybody, is limeaware.org, and it's L-Y-M-E, and then a dash, aware, A-W-A-R-E, dot org. That was my whole motivation. I, I just could not see someone that was in my shoes going through all that yeah. on their own. You talked about losing your mom. You talked about losing your, your was it a, a dog that you lost? She was that actually forewarned me yeah. that I was going to lose my sight before I. Uh, she, I had her 17 years, but she was a very. She had the sixth sense where some people would say mm-hmm. that she was a therapy dog. I was going to go into a bout with severe chest pains that was going to pretty much take me down. She would know before I would, and she would put me in a place that was safe. Um, and then it would just within seconds it, I would have a major a major attack that I I would just lose my breath and and just fall in pain and um, and she was able to sense those type of things before I yeah, even that's knew they were going on. In fact, my husband used her as a barometer as to how I was doing from day to day. If she was close as can be, didn't leave my side, and he knew it, was a, uh, it wasn't a good day yeah. that he should stay close. But if she had, um, if she wasn't right there and she was in the other room but close by, he knew that it was a good day. So when she, when we had to put her down, um, it was a very stressful process. In fact, it's still... How long ago was that? Uh, That was in August of 2014. And that stress kicked off a little more Lyme relapse, yeah? Or Babesia or whatever. Yes, the Babesia. That coupled with my mom, losing my mom about five months earlier, that didn't help. 
And is that what inspired you to write the article about grief? Well, I'm still trying to settle the matters with my mom. Um, and uh, I was going through some paperwork, and I came across my journal. And, um, and my sister-in-law and I were, or I should say my ex-sister-in-law, um, and I were speaking on the phone, and she's like, well, it sounds like you went through a grief cycle with this whole Lyme disease thing. And, and, um, and that's when it hit me that, yes, we go through that grief cycle, even though people don't consider it a grief cycle. And that's what, that's why I began writing that article and um, submitting it to ProHealth. So what is the grief cycle? It's these, well, it's not set in stone. Some of us go through uh, aspects of it, and some of us take a while to go through the different aspects. Um, it There's five different stages, supposedly. Um, if, you, if you look into it, uh, the grief cycle can be composed of five stages, or it can be composed of three, depending on how you look at it. Um, so... As I was going through my journal, I began to pull out entries and, and kind of put them into the five categories um, that uh, they say that we go through. And one is the, the denial, which most of us go through pretty much on the onset. Um, and that's where you just can't really believe that whatever is happening to you is happening to you at that time. And um, you kind of put your head in the sand and hope that, you know, it just kind of goes away. At least I did for a short while. Um, and so it just got to the point where I couldn't avoid it any longer. Um, and then the other stage, and along with the denial, I, I began when I was so ill and going through this, uh, I wasn't speaking with any family or friends, and and, and as well, the, what, the people that knew me at the time that knew I was as sick as I was, they began to uh, go away. It's like they didn't want to hear how awful you were or see how bad you were. They just figured uh, they didn't want to be around me or they just didn't know how to handle it. So they figured the best thing would be to stay away and and not address it so that they wouldn't make me feel bad, but yet they wouldn't know. They didn't know how to communicate with me because it's like um, if they would talk to me, I couldn't follow the conversation. And, and so then more and more people from my life disappeared. Right. And then I went through the state, another stage of anger. And um, I'd say I went through the anger stage several different times. <laughs> um, I was angry because, you know, I did have the bullseye rash and they kept denying that there, it couldn't be Lyme disease because the test that they administered was negative. Uh, and the telltale sign for Lyme disease was the bullseye rash. And, and I was angry that 
I asked for more antibiotic treatment after the 10 days had run out and I began getting some of the symptoms back and I went to doctor upon doctor upon doctor and they kept denying me that it was Lyme disease and kept denying that, no, we're not going to give you any more antibiotics because it's not good for you. Um, and some even addressed the guidelines. They said, oh, no, you should be cured. It's got to be something else. And um, and I guess I was angry at myself where I was advocating for myself strong enough that they weren't hearing me. It just, you know, it just kept cycling through that. Um, then I went through the bargaining stage, which and some for some of us, we go through a guilt stage where, you know, if I would have done this, I wouldn't have gotten sick. If I would have done that, the doctors would have listened to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it just kept compounding, like, what if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? And um, and I guess uh, I just began feeling guilty because I didn't know enough and I didn't press hard enough in my mind that that's why I got to the point where I was so ill that I couldn't do anything for myself. And then, of course, I went through the morning of being able to work, the morning of not being able to do simple things like brush my hair or, or do laundry or, or cook yourself some supper and things like that. Yeah. And, and then uh, I also I had an, a knack for remembering things on the onset. Someone told me one thing, I remembered it from then on. And I got went through that period where I couldn't remember anything and some, someone told me to think something two minutes earlier, uh, I wouldn't have no clue of what they, they had told me. So it just kept going and going. I actually went, there was an entry where I found myself making a list of, okay, when I die, I'll leave this to so-and-so. I'd like to have this person to have this. And um, I actually even wrote some letters, short letters to certain family members and friends and pretty much saying my goodbyes to them. It was was very difficult reading the journal entries. Like, it was like a person I had, I didn't recognize. Yeah. Um, and did you, do you think the journal helped you through those dark times? Immensely. Um, I'd say I wasn't able to speak with anyone, and um, I didn't feel comfortable telling everyone, sharing my feelings of how what I was feeling because, you know, every once in a while, you know, dark thoughts would creep in. It's like, well, you know, if I took all these pills, you know, I could just end it all now and not have to deal with all this, the pain and the agony and, and I wouldn't have to worry about my husband 
with all the bills, paying all the bills, and having to keep co-signing me and things like that. So it was very difficult. And like once again, I lost my train of thought, <laughs> which. Um, we kind of were at the level of acceptance where you were making lists of stuff you're going to give away after you had passed on and saying goodbye letters in your journal, writing goodbye letters. Right. Um, well, that happened periodically. There were different entries at different times. Mm-hmm. But then um, when I started finally progressing enough where I was able to shuffle around the house and do some very minor things on my own, take a shower, make myself something or reheat myself something. I finally came to the point of, you know, this isn't going to get any better. I have to learn to live with this. And it was a tough pill to swallow, but yet... I had considered I progressed quite a bit more than what I had been, you know. Or I was bedridden. I had to count on someone to help me into the restroom. I had to count on someone to bathe me, feed me. So I was, I was past those points. So I was, I'd say my confidence began to grow a little bit. And, and I was able to start building up some of my strength in my muscles that, uh, in my legs, that I was able to start moving around a little bit better. I mean, I, we had a tile floor, so I, I, I began using pillows to kind of slide around. <laughs> I can imagine that. I can picture that. And then uh, we had, you know, an older 60s house, so that, you know, uh, the hallway was narrow enough so that if I chose to walk, I would I was able to use walls as my strength to keep going across right. across the hallway and things like that. So that's when I like I came to terms that okay, this may be it. This may be the best I'm going to get. So you better start making the best of it. And little by little, with the help of my furry friend, um, I started doing more things and I started kind of exercising my muscles to a certain degree to the point where it didn't hurt as much. Right. And to the, I over, didn't overdo it. Um, there were times where I'd fall <laughs> and, you know, my pooch would try to help me up and um, sometimes she, did, she was able to and other times I'd have to wait for hours until... Uh, Either my husband came home or my friend would stop by and check on me, and they would help me up. So it's not, it, it wasn't easy. Yes. But eventually, I started getting around more, and then the pinnacle moment, I think, was when I was well enough to begin driving on my own. Right. I didn't, I couldn't drive a half hour or anything, but. I lived close enough where this grocery store was only 10 minutes away, you know, so I could actually drive safely to the store and back. And that, that just seeing the sunlight, being able to go out and just see other people 
it helped me immensely. Hmm. It was just amazing. And so that one day where I went to the grocery store and finished with my shopping, I couldn't find my vehicle. I thought that was the biggest uh, biggest thing that at that time. I couldn't find my vehicle. And finally, someone helped me find it, and I loaded up, and I began driving out of the parking lot, and I had no clue which way to go. No, no. I stopped, and I was like, uh, the harder I began to think, the more confused I became, and then I just broke down in tears. And uh, at that time, I had my husband just got me a phone, uh, a mobile phone. They didn't call them cell phones back then, at that time, um, and had pre-programmed some numbers in for me. So I pushed the first one that I had on there, and it happened to be a friend that lived not too far from there. I put her on speaker, and she helped navigate me back to my home. Otherwise, I don't think I would have made it. So, it's, I guess friends like that helped me also get through it, which I only had maybe at the time three or four at the most right. at that time. Right. So, that's what helped me get through it, just eventually began opening up to her or one of my other friends and they just listened. Sometimes they would offer some support um, and they were they were honest with me. It's like, we don't know. I don't know how to deal with this. I've never dealt with something like this. So. But I'd be happy to just listen to you and just say whatever's on your mind and I won't judge you and that helped. Yeah, that's incredible help. So what you're, you have an incredible story and the courage and perseverance that you demonstrate in, in working way through it is, is inspirational. What, what would you want to tell people who are kind of earlier on in their treatment path than you are? You know, maybe they're in those dark days and they're wondering if they're ever going to get better. I would say um, that once you find your answer um, and you believe it's it's going to be all uphill from there, there might be a few stumbling blocks along the way. Um, like my friend um, Les Roberts said, it's not it's not a marathon. Um, it's not a sprint. It's pretty much a lifelong journey. Yeah. So if you, for some reason, run into a setback at the end of the world, you'll just, you'll be able to get through it somehow in some way. Mm -hmm. It's just the best way for you to deal with it, whether it be writing a journal making pictures, coloring, painting. Um, I began quilting. Uh, that was a way for me to focus not on my illness but on something else. Mm -hmm. And um, 
just count the, um, those few that are willing to support you to get through the tough times. It's not going to be an easy road. Pretty much what I would put it in a nutshell. That would probably be it. Thank you very much. You know, I know she had a lot of different, she had many different stories, but the one that really struck, struck me was a story about her dog. And it was very sweet, wasn't it? it? It's just a beautiful bond that they had together and how her dog was able to tell when her attacks were coming before she did. That's just, that's incredibly special. You know, th this relationship, well, first of all, there's the bond between a dog and its owner. And then the second thing is the dog's ability to smell. And I know they're using dogs to detect cancer. So that they're, you know, that gives me hope for testing that there are chemical changes in the body that can be detected. And if a dog can smell it, then at some point we should be able to put together a test that can pick up these these chemicals that shift as somebody has a Lyme flare or has Lyme disease itself. It would be, be kind of cool if we could train a dog just to tell if somebody had Lyme disease and you yeah. could just go to the to the doctor's office and pet the dog and it would, you know, point and you'd know you had Lyme <laughs> disease. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> it would be much easier, that's for sure. Yeah, you would need to get the stick stuck with the with a needle or pee into a cup. Nothing like that. No. <laughs> no or no. spinal tap or ugh. That's right, spinal things. taps, yeah. There there are lots of nasty ways to get tested. And mm -hmm. unfortunately that's what we have right now. So you, it's really important that you get tested. Uh and send your results to not your results, but your your materials to a lab that can actually do an analysis. I think mm -hmm. I think that goes without saying. Kind of everybody out there in the Lyme community knows how important it is and the people outside don't understand how inconsistent the current testing can be. Anyway, those are topics for another podcast. If you like what you're hearing on Lime Ninja Radio, go ahead and click on over to iTunes and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And this is one of the reviews we just got recently that uh, makes me smile every time I hear it. Yeah. I just binged listened to just about all the Lime Ninja podcasts, and I had to take a moment to tell you how much I love it. Seriously, you and Aurora are amazing at what you do. It's captivating and informative. Thank you both for putting your heart into this and creating such a wonderful podcast. Thank you, ninjas. And lastly, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know the Ninja final exam includes winning a game of Connect Four in three moves? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.